Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Emergency Goalies podcast um, with my co-host, Michael Ernst, of course. And uh, we're going to start with a little preview of the, or um, recap of the previous week's games, which I will handle today. Um, the Jeremy Colleton era did looked a lot like the Joel Quenville era. Uh, the first game was Thursday night. Uh, the Blackhawks uh, played decently to start, but the Hurricanes just piled up goals. And I mean, it's hard. It's hard. Weird to describe them as playing them even the first few minutes, but they did. But then the Hurricanes scored four consecutive goals to take a four nothing lead. Uh, the Blackhawks chipped away a little bit in the second period. Got two goals. Uh, I believe Kane had one that just kind of rolled into the goal um, to make it four two. The third period, the Blackhawks scored a goal, a nice shot by Nick Schmaltz, which was nice to see, um, to make it a 4-3 to three game. And they made a push at the end, but again, they couldn't uh, tie the game in the final minutes, and it went as a victory for the Hurricanes. And I believe it was the sixth consecutive Blackhawks loss. Then Saturday afternoon... Well, I will say again, they did start out pretty good in the first period, but after about the first 15 minutes, uh, the game in Philadelphia was a disaster. The uh, Flyers uh, ended up winning four to nothing. It included a goal where uh, Brendan Manning kicked the puck into his own net, if that tells you how the game went. And, I mean, the Blackhawks had some chances, but... They were shut down by their old friend, Brian Elliott, so not great. And then um, Monday night, yesterday, as we're recording this on a Tuesday, uh, the Blackhawks actually jumped out to a 2-0 lead. Uh, Taves had a tip-in, and then Alex Dabrinkit scored on a beautiful pass by Dominic Cahoon. But that lead did not last for long because the Blackhawks committed two consecutive penalties in the second period, and the Hurricanes scored on both of them within 66 seconds to tie the game at two. Uh, then the, the Hurricanes really dominated in the third period, but Cam Ward playing against his former team played very well in the third period and kept the team in the game. So it got to overtime. And, of course, the Black Ice defense let him down in overtime, and uh, the Hurricanes scored the winning goal. So it was a 3-2 final in overtime. Eight straight losses. I guess you could say they got a point in the final game, so one point out of a possible six over these three games, but it is not looking good for the Blackhawks. Um, I'm going to kick it to you, Michael, and you talk a little bit about it's just not looking good. Yeah, the the playoff hopes are quickly slipping away from the Hawks here. Uh, Eight-game losing streak, like you said. Um, only two of them have gone to overtime, so two out of a possible 16 points uh, in a very competitive um, Central Division and Western Conference in general. Uh, that's not the type of stretch that you can afford. Um, they've really got to turn it around here pretty much immediately and likely need to go on a similar run 
of success to balance out this run of failure if they have any hopes of uh, making it to uh, the postseason this year. Um, however, at this point, uh, you know, we're whatever, you know, hopes we had at the beginning of the year for a while, they, they, they stayed afloat there. But I think we're, we're, we're back to seeing the same type of team that we saw last year where the defensive breakdowns are becoming too much of an issue to overcome. Crawford, after the first three or four games that he was back, hasn't been... Um, He's been fine, but he hasn't been, you know, the standout that he was at the beginning of last year and the previous couple of years. I was going to, I was going to ask too, as you mentioned that we kind of made an assumption going into the year that, you know, last season, if Crawford had been um, playing the rest of that year, rest of last season, that they would have probably at least been on the borderline or maybe made the playoffs. But I'm starting to wonder with the defense as it is and stuff, would we maybe being a little too optimistic? Like maybe if Crawford had been there last year, it wouldn't have been that um, good anyway. Yeah, I, I I I think they probably would have ended up coming up a little short. Um, I think it would probably be unreasonable to expect Crawford to play up to the standard that he was for that first the first half of the year. Um, eventually, he would have had a little. Uh, stretch of you know uh, I won't say bad play but you know where he was just average and I don't think the Hawks could have really overcome that last year so yeah I mean they were I think they were one point out of the playoffs when he got injured and obviously they tailspin from there Um, I think they probably would have ended up coming up a little short Uh, this year um I think they're actually in a worse position this year. Um, Their forwards are, uh, even though Taves has been playing much better back to his old self, I think in general, they're uh, the, the forward group is a little uh, thinner. Uh, There's not, there's really no depth scoring this year. And, uh, you know, you, it's, it's, as you were saying that, yeah, as you were saying that, I was reading in the Athletic yesterday, like a really like shocking stat that I made sure to remember that the Blackhawks have scored fifty-one goals this season, and thirty of them are from Taves, Kane, and DeBrinket, and that's like that's way too un- imbalanced. Yeah, and you know, even last year, you know, the the the, the scoring wasn't didn't have great balance, but there was a few more guys that were, that were chipping in. And I, you know, I felt like they had a few more possession players spread throughout the lineup. Whereas right now our third line is basically just it. it, I mean, we kind of talk about it every week. It's basically just another fourth line and it's, it's not very effective. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think they're missing guys like Vinny Hinestroza who, you know, was functioning on the, you know, the third line and gave them a little bit of a jolt. And, uh, but really, you know, we talk about how bad the defense was last year. They're in a worse position this year, um, at least at the start of the year, given the uh, 
injuries to Murphy and Forsling. And, uh, I, you know, the third pairing uh, has been such an issue for them this season um, that, uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, we got the good, the good news that they're bringing Forsling back up. We got, we, we heard that announcement today. Uh, that is certainly going to help. Um, it's um, wonderful to hear Colleton say that they're bringing him up to play him. They're not, you know, I, I don't think they're going to mess around much despite the fact that they have eight defensemen, which as we saw last year was a difficult juggle for Quenville to kind of keep everybody uh, in the lineup. And that led to some difficulties uh, this year. I don't, I don't think they're going to play any games with that. I, I think um, Keith, Yoki Haru, Gustafson and Seabrook are going to continue to play every game and play big minutes. And then uh, I think they're going to keep Forsling in the lineup every night. So I think those five guys um, are what they're going to kind of roll with. And then they'll figure out whatever to do between uh, Manning, Ruda and Davidson for that sixth spot. So um, do you think just that, keeping yeah, it warm until Murphy gets back? Yeah. But I was going to ask about that too. Like, you know, with like um, Manning, it's like, they're going to have to, I think they're just going to have to eat this. I know they don't want to do that because yeah. it's a $2.5 million cap hit, but he's just, it's, it's awful. For a while they can, uh, I don't mind having him as the seventh defenseman. Um, you know, it just is what it is. You know, hopefully he can turn his, his, uh, you know, season and hopefully career around here. Um, there's, they're in no hurry to, they don't have anybody pushing him to, for that spot. I mean, Root is on a one-year deal and has certainly not played well enough to justify an extension. Um, and Davidson's just, you know, again, on a one-year deal and he's obviously not any long-term answer. So as of right now, I, I don't really feel like they're really keeping anybody off the roster. Gustafson or not Gustafson. Uh, uh, ugh, why am I blanking on his name? He was up Dahlstrom Dahlstrom uh, would probably be next in line. And I do think if David's or if Manning hasn't, uh, um, turn, turn things around, you know, maybe by the second half of the year, Dahlstrom will get a shot and they can always send Manning down. I, I can't imagine at this point that anybody would pick him up off of waivers if they have to send him down. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's not ideal to, you know, it's basically if they send him down, he'll have like, it'll be like a $1.3 million cap hit, which isn't, uh, the end of the world, especially since the Hawks aren't up against the cap this year. So it just is what it is. You know, uh, we talked about, uh, earlier in the year, Manning seeming really confused out on the ice. And I know he came out in some interviews after Quenville was fired and, uh, admitted that he was struggling to pick up the system, that it was the first time in his career he had had to, um, play in a, in a zone defensive scheme. He had always played man to man with uh, Philadelphia and earlier in his career. 
And it sounds like Colleton's um, going to be going to a man-on-man system. Um, I haven't really, I didn't, I missed the Philly game and uh, only caught parts of both of the Carol or no, the first Carolina game. I did catch the whole uh, second Carolina game. So I, I haven't really gotten to delve in, uh, uh, examine, you know, some of the changes that we're seeing um, as of yet, but uh, you know, at least they can hang their hopes on that. Maybe Manning getting more comfortable in a, in a system that he'd be more familiar with. But yeah, I mean, end of the day, that second year on his contract is going to suck, but it's, it, you know, we're essentially, we're talking about 1.3 million if they need to eat it, which isn't probably going to make or break the Hawks in their position. At this point, it's going to be difficult to see them, you know, really being a Stanley cup contender, even if they make major changes going into next year. So I, I know the fans are going to be very frustrated with the fact that Manning's probably going to be on the roster for a while. And uh, anybody who actually pays attention to, you know, the cap hits and stuff are going to gripe, but um, really, I don't, I, I don't think it ends up being, um, you know, a make or break situation. Uh, it's just one of those things where eventually, if things don't turn around, Bowman will just have to swallow his pride a little bit and send him down to the minors. It's one of those things too that I think what you're hoping for the the um, Forsling thing, like I say what you will about Forsling, but he's younger and give him a shot. But you, you're really hoping that um, what you're going to see is like Sakura and Edsel. Just bring up all the young guys and see what they've got because the yeah, season's probably like in there. Will um, you know? Obviously, we're going to see Forsling right away. Um, and I, I do think he'll stay up despite the fact, like I said, with the eight defensemen. Um, Sakura hasn't come back up. I can't imagine that that's too far in the future. I think he'll be the first one up. And then as far as Ed Sol and Dahlstrom and uh, maybe Matthew Highmore, uh, a couple of other guys, um, I think they're probably going to wait a little while on them. Uh, simply because uh, there's still a chance that, uh, you know, the Blackhawks can make some trades. Uh, you know, I know fans are going to say, why are we playing Marcus Kruger? Why are we playing um, Chris Kunitz? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously those guys don't do anything for the future of this team, but uh, those are the type of guys that um, you can still probably get something for well, you would think that you could trade uh, Kunitz for sure for something. Yeah, I mean, he's making $1 million. Uh, he's the type of guy that, yeah, you know, I mean, a Stanley Cup contender, they're not going to pick him up to, you know, rely on him. But everybody in the league respects Chris Kunitz. He's won cups with two teams. He's been, or three, two teams, three teams. I, yeah, he's won it three times, I want to say. Yeah, Lightning um, and Penguins, I think. So I think two. Uh, no, he won one with Anaheim. Oh, Anaheim. What am I thinking? He was on yeah, the. He Lightning. didn't win one. With, he went to the Cup Finals with Tampa, but they didn't That's win. It. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a very respected veteran leader. He's the type of guy where I could see a team wanting, you know, to add him as a twelfth or thirteenth forward, um, just to have around in a locker room. You know, a team like uh, Carolina you know, might be able to use him if they're in the playoff hunt, uh, you know, just as a, 
a guy that can add a little bit of experience to a pretty young team. And the same goes with Kruger. I mean, obviously he's won a couple of Stanley cups with the Blackhawks. Uh, he looks better this year than he has the past two years. Uh, he's not quite what he was in his prime with the Blackhawks, but he's a reliable defensive centerman. Those things are always in demand uh, at the trade deadline, and he doesn't have the onerous cap hit that he once did. Um, he's in the last year of his contract, so, I mean, he's a rental that, uh, you know, I mean, are we talking an impact prospect or draft pick coming back? No, but if you can pick up a third or a fourth round pick for guys like Kruger or Kunitz, it's worth keeping them around until um, their um, cap hit lowers throughout the year um, for teams to pick them up. So those two guys, I think you're going to see remain in the lineup for a while, but then once those two spots get freed up, um, yeah, I think you'll see a little more movement up from Rockford and then trying some guys out in the meantime, I would like to see them stop messing around with, and, and I think this is one area where uh, having Colleton will help in that he knows all these guys. Uh, he knows what they bring. Um, he had all of them in the playoffs in the AHL last year. So I would like to see them, stop messing around with guys like David Kampf, Kampf who uh, Quenville scratched a few times. Uh, there's no reason Kampf, Kampf shouldn't be in the lineup every night. I mean, he's not an impact player, but he's a quality fourth liner. I do think it's kind of odd that um, Martinson has still been playing with Colleton. Uh, that kind of surprised me. Uh, Martinson was with a, was with Rockford last year and, um, uh, off the top of my head, I actually want to say he was the team captain. Oh, okay. Um, he, he is somebody that I, I think they like. Um, and he does bring something to the table that nobody else on the team does. I mean, when he's out there, he hits anything that moves. Um, yeah, I don't it was one of those things that. Like, yeah. There's all the things that I thought like going in that he wouldn't be like for the newer coach. But then I was thinking, he must have impressed him at Rockford because he was there last year. So that makes sense. Yeah. I, you know, in a lot of ways, he's the forward equivalent of Brandon Davidson. He's got the league minimum McCap hit. You can't send him down without exposing him to waivers. But there's somebody where, you know, they don't really have a future. So if you end up having it, it's nice to have those kind of guys as your 13th forward and seventh defenseman where you can scratch them without guilt for 20 straight games. If you need to, if everybody stays healthy, those guys can sit in the press box and you don't have to worry about it. And they're not going to cause problems in the locker room either. Cause they're not getting to play. Um, so I can see in that sense, um, having Martinson around is not such a big deal, but it, playing him as much as they are right now um, is probably not ideal. I would like to see that stop. Um, if he's getting, if he's in the lineup over guys like Kampf, uh, I'm going to have a problem with that. Yeah. Um, and I guess we should move on a little bit now to these new lineups, like especially uh, yesterday they did, you know, they put caves, uh, caves, 
Kane and Taves together. It's yep. Tom Caves. Um, and then they put up uh, Seabrook and Keith together, which was not good. Oh, uh, yeah, they really need to stop that. Um, but I had that. the joke. I had the joke um, for the line when they had Kane, Taves, uh, Keith, and Seabrook. And I called it the cap hit line. Which yeah. I thought was, yeah, uh, the the sixty percent cap hit or whatever those guys make of our, um, I guess it doesn't quite work unless Crawford's actually in that. But yeah, um, that is uh, uh, other than the Keith Seabrook pairing, uh, I didn't really have issue with the lines uh, that Colleton put together. Um, I would like to see them go back to Keith and Yoki Haru and Gustafson Seabrook. Uh, I think that that's a better configuration. Uh, but as far as the forwards, I, it's it's not going to hurt anything to keep Taves and Kane together for a little while. I, I honestly don't think that that's a great pairing. Um, I was encouraged seeing Schmaltz up with Taves. Uh, if they are not going to play Schmaltz at center, I prefer him on Taves' wing to anyone just because he gives Taves a... Um, somebody that's going to carry the puck and be a playmaker. And it frees Taves up to be more of a shooter. Uh, we, we obviously talked earlier, Kane, uh, Taves and Debrinkat have basically all of the goals for the Blackhawks this year. And it's really because they're the only three shooters that this team has. Everyone else is either not talented enough offensively to actually create or score goals or there's somebody like Schmaltz where they are absolutely pass first mentality. Um, Cahoon's kind of the same way. Um, Saad uh, can obviously score goals and he's been playing better as of late, but he's been out the last couple of games due to injury. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but Saad isn't really a shooter. He's more of a drive to the net and create havoc that way. Um, so, yeah, I like having Schmaltz with Taves just because I think it frees Taves up to be more of a shooter and it, it frees up it frees him up from being a puck carrier a little bit. I think yeah, that'll keep him fresh throughout the year, too. I was going to um, say, too, um, as you say, too, that I kind of liked um, the Debrinket uh, Cahoon camp line. It, it played pretty good on Monday. I mean, yeah, if, yeah. If you put I mean, um, Sod in for camp eventually, yeah. Yeah, you would think so. Um, I, I, I would like to see Sod up with Taves and Schmaltz and then drop Kane down to that line. Um, but I think either works. Um, I, I think those are your six best forwards. So kind of whatever combination you put them in is, you know, probably fine. But uh, a lot will depend on whether they feel comfortable putting Cahoon at center or if you got to drop Schmaltz back to center uh, to make that configuration work because Camp was playing center on that line. Um, and then, yeah, that, that kind of frees you up to um, try Anisimov with whatever combination of youngsters that you want to on the third line, be it um, Fortan and Sakura or Camp or Edsel. Um, you know, Anisimov isn't exactly a great fit with everybody given his lack of foot speed, but, um, you know, we've seen him work well with, um, some creative puck carriers. So maybe, uh, 
once they get Sakura up, he can kind of be the the puck carrier pseudo Kane on that line. And then, you know, they can maybe figure out something with uh, Fortan or um, find some chemistry with somebody else on that line. And then the fourth line, eventually I would like to see once Kruger and Kunitz are gone, uh, some combination of Johnson, Camp, and Hayden. Um, Hayden could maybe play up on the third line or something too, but um, yeah, I it's not it's not the most talented group right now. They really need to stretch out that lineup and find some solutions on the third line. Um, and until they do, they're not going to remain competitive because uh, Kane, Taves, and Debrin can't, can't keep up this pace. So unless Sod and or Schmaltz break out in a big way and play up to their potential, it's it's going to get ugly soon. Well, it already is ugly if you're yeah. considering an eight-game losing streak. It's, it's, not, it's not going good right now, but yeah. And they just – and it was just one of those things, too, that this offseason, just the lack of moves, it was just like – you're trying yeah. to do and it just wasn't going to work. Yeah, they were hamstrung by uh, uh, the HOSA contract until they moved that. And once they did move it, there wasn't really anybody available uh, left on the market to actually pick up that wasn't. You know, I think there was a couple of moves like uh, um, Montreal and Vegas made the, their one big trade with. Yeah, and was it like. Um, Jeff Skinner got traded. Yeah, Skinner too. But, you know, you were talking about guys um, that were in the final year of their contract, and that's really not the type of guys you want the Blackhawks to um, to acquire at this point. Um, we don't we, – we can't play the rental game anymore. We need more long-term solutions. So, you know, it wouldn't make any sense for the Blackhawks to have traded their, you know, one of their good young defensemen or something that's coming up to – you know, to bring in a short-term solution on the wing, uh, especially if, you know, if the team looks like it's heading in the right direction, they can always just try and sign one of those guys over the su- um, over the summer. So. Yeah, so that, that's probably the right way to go with that. So yeah. I guess we could talk, a, I would talk about the special teams, but they were just horrible. Uh, yeah, they remain horrible. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know that we really can add much to it. Obviously the two um, short or the, the, the two penalty kills that went awry against Carolina cost them the game kind of. Um, I didn't really see the Philly game, so I can't really comment on that, but yeah, the power play in the Philly game were not good. I guess the game last night, there were no power plays. So yeah, no, they never did get one. Did they? I don't think they did. Yeah, not a good sign for your team speed if you can't get any penalties called the whole game. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, the it would be nice for you know that that's something that can snap your team out of a, a, a losing streak is getting a you know either a goalie win or um, you know kind of a a flukier special teams win. I mean, in a way, Carolina got that. Um, in the last game where the Blackhawks, I mean, yeah, they struggled in the third period, but they carried the play more often than not through the first um, 45 minutes or so of that game. And, uh, you know, it was certainly a game that the Blackhawks had in hand if their special teams had been up to the task um, and Carolina was able to steal the points out of that. So 
it would be nice to see the Blackhawks get a fluky power play goal and then maybe score a pretty power play goal both in the same game that uh, gets them a victory and kind of breaks this streak that they got going here. They're due for a little bit of luck. Uh, yeah, and I was going to say, um, with Colleton, it's kind of early, you know, it's very hard to tell within three games. I mean, they do well, yeah, seem and then a bit more aggressive, but... Yeah, and, you know, and then especially, like, you know, we say, like, oh, well, you know, how's he going to change things around? I mean, we talked a little bit about the man-to-man defense, but then, you know, he's going to be changing things with the power play and the penalty kill, but in one of the three games, they didn't get a power play. So it's hard hard to say. And then, you know, like the penalty kill, uh, one of the two goals against Carolina, they scored just off of a face-off win. It was six seconds or something into the power play. Yeah, some Carolina guy, what was, his, what was his name? Tabo Terabinen. I think I've heard that. Yeah. Name. Yeah. That, 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 that guy that wasn't, you know, that we didn't want to keep around. But, um, yeah, so it's... It it's hard to find a lot of positives right now to kind of talk about, but I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing Forsling back. Um, you know, him and eventually Murphy. Once those guys are back, I'll, I feel like they'll actually be icing six NHL caliber defensemen. Um, now they still lack a number one defenseman given. Keith's regression and Yoki Haru not quite up to to that task quite yet. So I mean, they're probably fielding a bunch of two, three, four, five, six defensemen as opposed to you know the optimal deployment. But I don't think they'll have a liability out on the ice. So I I, I look forward to that eventually, and then um, you know down the road we can kind of. We'll, we'll get to see a little bit of the forward depth that's that'll come up from Rockford. Although with the possible exception of, of Sakura, I, I can't really see any of those guys making, you know, enough of an impact to, you know, provide much hope. I, they're more depth type guys. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard not to look forward a little bit to, uh, uh, having another top 10 pick next year, maybe uh, the, the, the ping pong balls bounce right for you and you, you luck into Jack Hughes um, just the way like they did with Kane. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of people forget that the, the Hawks were like, I think they had the sixth best odds or something in the year. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and they they got they got the, the ping pong bongs, balls to bounce for them. And a controversial pick, too. People didn't like Kane. Maybe we should go with Kyle Turris or something like. Or James Van Riemsdyk was the yes. other one. And there was not a consensus number one pick that year. Um, I, I do think Kane was. Um, I think the majority vote would have gone to Kane. Um, but uh, Van Riemsdyk and Kyle Turris both had their supporters. So, yeah, it was not a unanimous decision. Um you know, that was still back in the time frame where people would look at a guy like Patrick Kane and say, he's too small. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I brought up Jack Hughes. He's the consensus number one pick in the upcoming draft. And he's 
probably a little bit smaller than Patrick Kane. I, I think he's like 5'11", 165, and nobody blinks an eye anymore at that. So, um, yeah. Uh, the one good thing as far as that goes, though, with the draft last year was uh, um, a lot of quality defensemen uh, were available in the draft, and obviously the Blackhawks ended up drafting uh, Adam, Bo- Adam, uh, Boquist and, uh, you know, after that selection and with, uh, Yoki Haru and Ian Mitchell and a couple of guys over the last couple of years, they built up a nice stable of defensive prospects. And, uh, now they can kind of, um, turn their focus back to, um, their forward group. And, uh, thankfully this year in the top 10, if, uh, the Blackhawks do end up in that uh, grouping again, uh, the uh, draft prospects are, are very much slanted to, toward the forward group this year. There's a lot of uh, potential uh, top six centers and top six wingers. So, uh, and yeah, the Black I mean, Eyes need both. So, the, yeah, the, uh, a center would be ideal. Um, I know. I mean, I know we've talked about it. I, I think Schmaltz is better on the wing than he is on the center, but. Um, I mean, they, they at least have the flexibility with him where, you know, regardless of what type of player they, they're able to bring in, uh, they can probably make it work. So, yeah, uh, you know, obviously I don't want to turn this into a draft rock podcast, but, uh, you know, at least in that way, um, things match up pretty well with what the Blackhawks needs are. So, well, the way things are going this season, the last month might be a a draft podcast of the season. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully, uh, we can kind of keep the hopes alive for, you know, uh, potential playoffs for a little while. Although we're kind of coming up on that, uh, that cutoff of the, uh, end of November where I, you know, I generally see the tweet every year from somebody where it's like, if you're not within two points of a playoff, yeah, your odds are like four percent or something. Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. So yeah, there there actually isn't a whole lot of movement uh, in the NHL um, standings after the month of November, simply because of the uh, three point games with the overtime. Um, it's really difficult to get separation. Um, too many teams are content to if the game's tied with ten minutes left, they'll and they're playing a conference opponent they will both go ahead and take the one point and then play for the, the extra point in overtime. And so it makes it very difficult to vault over teams. You really got to be in position early. And so, yeah, this, this eight game losing streak does not bode well. Yeah, Basically at this point in this version of the NHL, when you fall behind, then you have to go on like an eight, nine, 10 game winning streak to get back in the race. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, I kind of said that earlier at this point, if the Blackhawks don't kind of match their eight game losing streak with a eight game winning streak, they're, they're, they're probably uh, done for. Well, on that happy note, I guess it's time for you to preview the upcoming week's games, see if they can start that turnaround. Yeah. uh, The good news is they will be playing three games. So, Uh, they'll get some practice time in. They have no back to backs and all three of their games are at home. So, uh, Colleton will get a little bit of a chance to maybe implement some additional changes and, 
try out some new things at practice. Uh, their first game will be tomorrow night, Wednesday against uh, St. Louis, which uh, this is the fourth time I think we've already played the Blues, and the last time we'll play them for quite some time. So I, we were we I were talking people, about that too. We thought that there are two more games, and one was in like February. Oh no, it's in November that we're getting four of them out of the way. Yeah. So uh, yeah, this will be our last time with the Blues for quite some time. Uh, at this point, I think people are probably pretty familiar with what they roll out there. Uh, and then uh, a couple of nights later, they will play the Los Angeles Kings, who are in a kind of a similar situation to the Hawks, where you know the the once great uh, core is kind of aging, and they're not quite playing up to snuff, and they're kind of in the in between. Do we try and go for it? try and keep this together or do we break it up and how do we break it up with all these no movement clauses and all that. So very similar situation um, with guys like Anze Kopitar kind of being the Taves equivalent and Dustin Brown being the albatross contract, kind of like Brent Seabrook. And so uh, I guess the one interesting thing is, uh, for fans that may have missed the news over the summer, uh, they did sign Ilya Kolchuk uh, back from Russia. Uh, it's been a few years since he's been in the NHL. Not quite the dynamic speed that he once had, but he still got the big shot and still a creative player. Um, so it'll be nice to see him uh, in person again. Yeah, so few. Uh... I've seen so few Kings games. I didn't know that. So yeah, I haven't actually, I haven't actually watched them this year. I had uh, earlier in the year, I was like, Oh yeah, I should, uh, you know, tune into one of the Kings games and see Colville Chuck. And you know, the games are on a little later, obviously you West coast. And I just, I never have gotten around to it. So I'm, I'm kind of uh, keen to see what uh, he's still got left in the tank. And then, uh, uh, after that, uh, Sunday, uh, the five o'clock start, which I'm not, uh, I'm not fond of that, but, uh, they'll be taking on the Minnesota wild who, uh, I'm trying to think we haven't really played the wild yet this year. Have we, or maybe there was once. one game in Minnesota, I think early yeah. in the year. I don't remember how that game went, but. Yeah, I'm. I'm totally. I, I just. I. It doesn't feel like we've played them, but I, I think you're right. I think we did play one game against them, and the Wild are playing very well. They're in second place in the Central, uh, just a couple of points behind Nashville. Um, you know what? You know, the the Minnesota one. That was the one that Suter tied it at the very end, with like the clock running out, and I think uh, the Blackhawks went in overtime. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. So, yeah, I mean, that's a good, well-rounded team. Uh, they do have depth uh, at pretty much all every position. So that's definitely a, uh, a division opponent that's going to be difficult. Uh, the Blues, you know, who were playing uh, earlier in the week, that's obviously the more winnable game. They're actually in... Um, 
kind of down with the Blackhawks in the standings, uh, although the Blackhawks have played a few a, a few more games than the Blues. So Yeah, I mean, honestly, um, if they don't beat the Kings and the Blues, it's going to start to get to be really... For that uh, honestly, if they don't beat those two teams, they're they're pretty much done. I I don't see any way that the Blackhawks can get back into it if they don't win those two games. Um, most of the conference uh, has games in hand against the Blackhawks, and they're already um, a few points out of playoff position. So if you drop two games against two of the teams that you are in direct competition, trying to get back into it. That just puts two more teams that you got to vault over. And, you know, we just said that a few minutes ago, it's almost impossible to do that in the NHL. So, I mean, if they drop those two games, they're pretty much going to be, um, they're going to have four or five teams between them and the last playoff spot. And that, 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 that's too much to overcome. So, yeah, I mean, the Kings are the worst team in the league, and they got to win that game. And the Blues, like I said, they actually have the, the fewest points in the Central Division, um, although it certainly would be argued that the Blackhawks are the worst team in the division. So, I mean, those are two must-win games. And then if you can sneak a point against Minnesota, that would be awesome. But, yeah, uh, the, the next two games really are the season for the Blackhawks. If you, if you, if they drop even one of these two games, I, I, I think they you can probably, probably seal their fate. Yep. I guess on that upbeat note, we will yeah. wrap it up for this week, but it, it's, it is what it is. That's what they have to do. They put themselves in this spot with yeah. the losing streak. So you, you, you lose 10 straight or nine out of 10. You're done. Uh, the central division is too good. The Western conference, even though the Pacific is fairly bad, there's still a couple of decent teams and yet you just, you, you can't overcome it. Yep. All right. Well, as always, my uh, Twitter handles STH 85 and Michael MJ underscore Ernst. Yep. And uh podcast is on iTunes. So if you want to subscribe and give us a rating. That'd be great. And other than that, I think that's all we have for this week. And yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk to you again next week. Hopefully, yep. with some wins to talk about. Wins. Yes. All right. Thank you.